Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. Hi, Jane. Hello. How are you doing? <sighs> How are you? Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I you know, I've been getting really into reading lately, so I've been reading some books. Nice. What what books have you been reading? Oh, I've been reading um Friday Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a short a short story collection. I've been reading uh, Gideon the Ninth, which is a little sci-fi novel. Um, and I've I've been reading a, a funny little book called The Red Pyramid by by a Mister Rick. Uh, I believe it's uh, Rick O'Brien. Oh, that's really interesting. I think I've been I've been reading a similarly titled book by someone named uh, Rick Riordan. Oh, oh, that's it. Oh, it's the that- same book. It's the same book. Oh my gosh, that's such a coincidence. We should make a podcast about it. <laughs> Jane, I believe you agonized over these summaries. I did. <laughs> possibly to the detriment of your enjoyment of these chapters, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh are you are you do you feel like reading those? Uh yeah, I'll I'll read the I'll read out this like chronicle of my declining mental health in real time. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Chapter 13. Carter, I face the killer turkey. Carter, Sadie, and Zia are spat out the portal in Cairo Airport. The airport is apparently built on top of the ruins of old Cairo, so it's a site of power for portal usage. And, as Zia shows the siblings, a way to access the first gnome. The trio head down a hidden staircase and come to the entrance to the first gnome, a single wooden plank across a bottomless chasm. Zia explains that crossing the threshold into the first gnome is a test that each magician must solve for themselves. While she expects Sadie to go first, Carter, frustrated with everyone expecting great things from Sadie, takes the initiative and goes before her. After getting several magic knives shot at him, Carter makes it to the other side, where a statue transforms into a giant golden bird, apparently the soul of a magician who died in ancient times. It says to Carter, go forth, good king, before disappearing. Zia and Sadie cross the plank while Carter is busy with that. The three of them enter the first gnome proper, which is a large underground city built in the style of an ancient Egyptian settlement. While walking through the settlement, Sadie notices a room full of children looking into pools of oil. Zia explains that these children are scryers, who basically act as phone operators for the House of Life. The small room full of children represents every single initiate in the entire order, and Zia alludes to the fact that there used to be many more, but something happened to them. They also pass under the Sphinx before arriving at the door of the Chief Lector, who Zia warns the pair to behave themselves around lest he turn them into insects. Chapter 14. Carter. A French guy almost kills us. The trio enter the huge resplendent Hall of Memories, surrounded by glowing images and magical holograms. It plays out as a sort of walking tour of Egyptian history as Zia, Carter and Sadie walk through the various displays, showing the age of the gods, the formation of the Old Kingdom, the genesis of the House of Life and the Middle Kingdom, and Moses, who was apparently a magician, defeating Ramses in a magical duel during the decline of the New Kingdom. The presentation of the kingdoms ends on Nectabeno II, the last Egyptian king, and someone who Carter thinks looks suspiciously like the giant bird from earlier. 
From here, we get a Cliff Notes version of Alexander's conquest of Egypt, then the Romans, various caliphates, the Ottomans, modern colonialism, and finally we catch up to the present day. At the end of the hall is an old man, sitting near an empty golden throne. This man seems to be the source of the magical images of Egyptian history. He is quietly impressed by Carter and calls forth an assistant, the other magician from the British Museum, who we learned is named De Dejarden. Dejarden. That's it. Thank you. He introduces the really old guy as Iskandar, the chief lector. Carter, eager to prompt more exposition, asks why Iskandar, Iskandar isn't sat in the throne, as he looks very old. Desjardin explains that Chief Lecter Iskandar's role is to protect the pharaoh, and so he symbolically sits at the foot of the throne. Iskandar also speaks only in Alexandrian Greek, his birth language, because he's very old. Desjardins informs the two of them that they will be kept in the first gnome and trained, overriding their protestations that they need to find their dad and Amos. They also tell Iskandar everything about their story, except for certain sections that a voice in Carter's head tells him to leave out, about the bird spirit and Sadie's abilities. It also transpires that several other gods have escaped containment since Set got out. Iskandar sends Desjardins to go and verify the kid's story while Zia tests them. This is a test that is apparently pass or die, and that cheery thought is what the kids are left with as they're led to their rooms. Chapter 15, Sadie, a godly birthday party. Sadie is locked into a dorm with some other girls, but quickly breaks out, heading back to the Hall of Memories as she's curious about the age of the gods. She steps off the blue carpet that runs down the centre of the Hall of Memories, something that Zia warned her not to do, lest the images of the gods burn out her mind. But Sadie steps forward and goes into a golden curtain, which transports her into a flashback. This is a flashback to Set's deception of Osiris by way of the Hercules movie, where the twist that Osiris blunders headfirst into the most obvious trap in history, gets locked in a shiny box and gets his cock cut off by Set. His pregnant wife Isis escapes in the confusion when Set's wife bodies him to the floor, and at this point Iskandar pulls Sadie from the flashback because she was almost dead. Iskandar talks to Sadie afterwards and she learns that yes, he is indeed very old, and remembers the House of Life being driven underground by the Romans. This is also when the spells that allowed him to get this old were lost. Sadie tells him what she saw in her dream, and Iskandar explains that the confusing and sometimes contradictory stories of the gods are due to the fact that while the gods are creatures of instinct who repeat the same squabbles over and over again, their human hosts mean that circumstances can differ each time, which can lead to multiple versions of the same story. The House of Life used to deliberately attempt to host gods, but this practice ended with the fall of the Ptolemaic Kingdom, as Iskandar felt that humans no longer had the willpower to harness the gods. He also mentions that he knew Sadie's mother and that she was adept at divination. He tells Sadie that she has a difficult path ahead of her, and that she must guide Carter, as Zia must guide her, before sending her into a deep and dreamless sleep with a spell. Chapter 16. Sadie. How Zia lost her eyebrows. Zia wakes Sadie and takes her to be cleansed for the magical test. She meets Carter at the testing site, where he says that he slept badly, and seems to indicate it was something to do with Zia. The two drink god-infused water and get symbols painted on their tongues. They then head to a library to determine Carter and Sagey's magic specialties. Carter draws a magic bird and it shits on his face. Then he manifests a butter knife. Then Sadie sets Zia on fire. Thus ends the testing of their magical abilities. They then move to the dueling grounds and teleport hundreds of miles south to some ruins in Luxor, formerly Thebes. Zia explains that the destroyed temple is a site full of magic, so it's a good place to practice dueling. 
She makes Carter and Sadie fight it out, and Sadie decks herself almost immediately by trying to shoot fire, which burns through most of her energy instantly. It transpires that the point of this test is partially to see if, like their ancestors before the house was driven underground, Carter and Sadie are hosting gods. Sadie shoots a lion at Carter, who turns into a big bird and kills it. Then an initiate runs over and says Iskandar died, and Dejardins is now Chief Lecter. This is bad because he will try to kill Carter and Sadie, and apparently he'll be totally in the right about doing that, since this fight has shown that they are in fact hosting gods. However, Zia decides to help them escape the first gnome so they can try and defeat Set, so she sends them off to the obelisk in the temple so that they can go and do that. So, what did you think of these chances? That, I, I have to applaud you on those summaries. They were <laughs> fucking you. hilarious, especially by the end. Uh... <laughs> You know, I I really enjoyed them. These are the best chapters yet. I'm I'm very glad that you enjoyed them. Jane, I I'm more curious about what you thought about them. <laughs> I know I I may have come across as somewhat negative in those summaries. But there is a lot of stuff in here I like. I think ch- chapter 15 was the point where I was just like completely broken. Right. But I think chapter 16 had some stuff that like poked me up a bit and got me back into it. I complete. I have the most notes on chapter sixteen, so like I, I agree with you. It's probably the best one out of the set. Uh huh. Sorry, uh, out of this group, I guess I shouldn't use the word set. <laughs> wait, no, wait, because I read cha- I read chapter thirteen last week by mistake, and I still didn't like it when I read it this week. So well, that's fair. <laughs> you know, I I have to say, like overall, I get we like. Your main issue comes from, like, I'm guessing, like, the exposition? Is that... A a lot of that is what's bugging me. Hmm. I think also, like, one of the things that I really liked about Chapter 16 was that there was some humour. Uh-huh. Like, I I sounded kind of dismissive about it, but the bit where, like, Carter draws a magic bird, and then the bird comes off the page and shits on his face. Yeah. Like, that got a chuckle out of me. But it made me realise that, like, we're 16 chapters in, and that's the first time that the book has made me laugh. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. The, the humor was a big part of what made like Rick's other work so good, so it kind of sticks out that there's been so little of it so far. Yeah, it kind of just feels like it's supposed to be a differently toned series, which is kind of strange to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I get if he wants to try and do something else, but like, if it ain't broke... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, hmm. I can think of a couple attempts at humor that have definitely failed so far. I mean, everything with, like, Khufu and probably also Philip of Alexandros, right? Is that, is that what the fucking crocodile's called? Uh, Philip of Macedonia. That was the one. But, yeah, like, th- those are like, okay, that's kind of cute, you know, it's not really, like, haha funny. yeah. But like I, the the bird thing is very funny. I, I I do think there like there's some humor, just not like necessarily jokes in that same way. Mm-hmm. It's just like oh, there's been like instances of lightheartedness, but not in the, not in the same way as Percy Jackson necessarily. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to exposition, I I have to say that I really do think um, these chapters handled it the best of any chapters we've read so far. Oh, de- like to be clear, I'm sick of it. But if it had all been of the same quality of like the the like Cliff Notes version of Egyptian history they get in the Hall of Memories, I would be a lot less sick of it at this point. 
Yeah, the 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 what what is it called? Like the Hall of Ages or whatever. Hall of Memories, I think. Hall of Memories. It's very that's I was like, wow, I'm I if I was a kid I'd be like, wow, I'm learning about Egyptian history and it's cool and all this yeah. like oh, they got magic and stuff. I would be so into that and I I'm still kind of into it to be honest. I think it's a good like history lesson for the kids. It's got, you know, a little bit of information value. Yeah, it's one of those things that are always going to make these books like of like value to kids. Yeah. Is that like they are they are educational. Definitely. And not only is it like a fun little history lesson, but I also just really enjoy like the visual aspect of it. Yeah, I, the the way that the hall is described with like the giant balls of light that like change color when they bounce into each other like a screensaver. Yeah. Like, that's very fun. I like that. And when they finally get to uh, Iskandar and he is just like emanating hieroglyphics. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun. We, we need to talk about something that happened in here. Uh-huh. Because it addresses something that we've, we've talked about a couple of times on this podcast. Right. Uh, we do have canonical confirmation of at least, like, Judaism is real, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we know that at least, like, Moses is real. Yeah, um, Moses was just a real dude who really did have magical powers. Y- yeah, and that's, like, I guess it had to, like, that's... I feel like that's one of the most famous, like, ancient Egyptian stories. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not... Yeah. Or a story about ancient Egypt. So, like, of course Definitely. that's going to come up. Um, hmm, what are the implications? You know what I mean? Like, is is the Jewish god real? Because, like, the way it's phrased is that Moses' power came from, like, he used the same magic as the House of Life. Right, right. Like so, it's like, did he did he channel, like, God? Like, <laughs> like did he was he was he like? Because like, I guess it would make sense for him to have that same magic, right? I guess so. I just, this has the same energy to me as if Rick had actually put Jesus into Percy Jackson as a demigod. <laughs> like, it's not it's not as major a thing, but like. <laughs> You know, yeah, and it's like, oh, the one person who ever beat the Egyptian magicians at their own game. Uh-huh. It, it's a fun little nod, and a fun little nod is a weird way to put that. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like a, I don't know, a fun little nod to a major world religion, which is now <laughs> canonically a thing and real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like this is probably always going to be something that's like occasionally touched on in Percy and. Percy Jackson and like the mythological series of Rick Riordan the um, Riordan verse please the Riordan verse I'm sorry <laughs> the Camp Half-Blood Chronicles and beyond yeah that like there are I, I like there are like major world religions that people still practice and like what's up with their mythologies you know what I mean yeah you're never gonna get away with just not addressing that I suppose yeah and I think this if you're going to do it this is probably the way to do it yeah like just mention it don't dwell on it pretty much the same way that like the the preacher in hades was brought up in lightning thief it's like bring it up vaguely explain some of it crack a joke move on definitely definitely i i have a theory that Uh i want to discuss what's that uh in, in chapter 13 we learn that like uh there don't seem to be as many initiates as there used to be 
Yeah. Like, it's alluded to that something's happened that's, like, really cut down the recruitment numbers. And I put it to you that what happened was a fire drill. I don't get it. The only way in and out of this entire city is a plank across a chasm. (laughs) If you try to run a class of children across that, most of them would fall off and die. Oh, (laughs) God. Oh, God, Jane. Oh, no. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I... Like, Carter is very afraid of being underground, and I think he's completely in the right for it. Yeah, no, it's terrifying. Like, as much as I'm super into, like, the whole, like, underground city built in the ruins. Yeah, that is a cool concept. It's like, wow, you you sure are living under hundreds of tons of rock. That's not terrifying at all. Which at any time some gormless archaeologist might start cracking into. What I really do like, like one of the like few elements that I, not one of the few elements, one of the many elements that I enjoyed of these chapters was the uh. implication or just like the statement that one of the things that modern magicians do is just like try and keep archaeologists from finding most of Egypt's ruins. <laughs> yeah, that that is very good. It's It's very funny. Like, I'm imagining them, like, the archaeologists digging a hole and just, like, the magicians standing, like, just behind where the hole is, like, filling it in with rock again, like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> they, just, they move into the dig site at night and just put all the dirt back. <laughs> uh, because they live under, like, a sphinx, basically. Yeah. They live, or I guess it seems like they live under a, a big stretch of Egypt, but... And so they like they're part of their duties of the first gnome seem to be like keeping the the rubes and the, the thieves <laughs> away from away from the important stuff because like oh you think the king tut is big you you got another thing coming kid. Spe- speaking of um, like colonial pillaging, I guess. Uh huh. There's like there's a penny that I'm waiting to drop for Carter because like. One of, one of the things that we get, we've had it hinted at, but explicitly confirmed in these chapters is, like, Carter and Sadie are both direct descendants of, like, ancient Egyptian royalty. Yeah. And at several points in these chapters, Carter is very excitedly like, oh, they they took this um, artifact away and put it in this museum in, somewhere in Europe or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for the penny to drop for him to realize that that's his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... I wonder if there will be that moment because like we're always saying like will this series confront the idea of like it's like the theft the the all the theft because it, it's, it seems it seemed to be mostly dodged around during the moment in the hall of memories or whatever it is yeah so i'm I, i'm still like unsure that it will <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, if, if anyone would be pissed about that, it would be the organization that is contiguous with, like, the actual government that existed in ancient Egypt. Right. Like, they would be the people who would talk about that and have a bone to pick about it. Right. Like, I guess they have more important things to do, like, kill children. But, <laughs> you know, you know, I guess if that was the case, then they would be right that... Julius, that the the British police would be right that uh, Julius was in fact affiliated with an extreme group. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. That did in fact blow up the British Museum. 
<laughs> uh, they didn't take any artifacts, but you know, they just they no. I, in fact, they I think they fixed the artifact and put it back, didn't they? They did. Which, I mean, probably could have just nicked it. Yeah, like I guess it's one of the things of like, is this like? I don't know, like, oh, because they don't seem to want anyone to know that magicians exist. That's true. And I guess it would also be a thing of, like, you know, this is urban fantasy. Uh-huh. You want the kids reading it to be able to think, oh, this is this is happening just below the surface of the real world. Right. And if the historical artifact, as significant as the Rosetta Stone, gets stolen in your fiction, you can't really hand wave that. Right, because, like... I guess I didn't really ever think of it until you put it like that, but, like, so much of urban fantasy is creating this, like, simulacra of the real world. Yeah. Um, And, like, being able to believe, like, oh, you know, there could be vampires living next door. There could be I magicians. I could be a demigod. I could be a demigod. That kind of thing. Yeah. Which is, like, kind of dependent on, like, how much are you going to play with reality? Like, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about how consequences in these books can like they're always so so large they're always like the world is going to shatter if this does not happen (laughs) and i think that's like yes that is super easy to criticize because like make smaller stakes make more personal stakes but i think if you find the balance of like giving those big world shattering events like personal stakes then maybe that's where you have to operate at this specific type of, like, fantasy, because otherwise, like, Mm. you can't, like... Because otherwise it will break that idea that, like, reality is similar to our own. Because, like, if the world is about to end and then some people stop it that you never hear about, well, sure, that can happen. But if, like, part of, like, Louisiana gets turned into a giant fireball, then, like everything else stays the same then like i would hear about that on the news yeah if just if just like chronos wipes manhattan off the map and not and doesn't do anything else for a while then yeah it kind of at that point you're not living in an urban fantasy world anymore at that point the two have like converged and you have to deal with that right you're writing like speculative fiction yeah so i don't know i'm kind of i I kind of feel like there is that element of like, ooh, maybe I maybe I'm a bit more forgiving of the the giant stakes every single time. Yeah, uh, I guess where the stakes come from in this book are uh, are set so far at least. Uh, it does mm-hmm. seem like there is also a, a, a rising antagonism with the House of Life, especially now that Dejardin has taken power as the what is it the the, the uh, Grand Lector the Grand Lector. I was about to say, like, licked, Lichter, but I think that's a thing in Gideon the Ninth. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I'm i getting my books confused a little bit. But yeah, so there is a little bit there, but largely what we have here is a set. And there is some interesting, like, some stuff here. What do you, what do you think of, like, the set stuff here? I don't really care about, like, the set stuff specifically. Uh-huh. But I do think the way that, um, what's his, what's his fucking name? Ixander, is that it? Uh, Iskandar. Iskandar, that's it. The way that he explains how the gods work is both a really interesting way of like looking at them and explaining the like different stories about them. Yes. 
Uh, and also a much more artful way of dodging all the incest stuff than the no DNA stuff from last yes. time. Yes, <laughs> yes, I completely agree. <laughs> like, well done, Rick. That's a much better explanation you came up with this time around. It doesn't sound like you came up with that on the fly when someone asked you. It's simultaneously both like, like, number one, a much better explanation for why is it okay for the gods to, you know, I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> it's a really, it's simultaneously both a really cool bit of world building. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, there is so much, like, muddling in mythology as it changes and, like, moves. On. Like, obviously, like, mythology is always changing in that way. Um, yeah. And by tying it to the like the hosts, the idea that people are like hosting the gods when they appear in the real world, then that like actually creates a really interesting intersection where it's like, okay, this repetition of patterns is like there's always this cycle, but it's always changing. That's why it's changing. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it even it fits really well into the current world building we have where like the Egyptian gods are these like primal forces who like act on instinct and therefore it makes sense that they would fall into the same patterns again and again and that the disrupting influence would be humans right yeah like we see a whole scene with um the gods when sadie like kind of travels back um kind of becomes uh what like a a a bar yeah which i didn't explain that in the summary um that the giant bird that carter meets is like the soul of a magician for, who died hundreds of years ago, and that's referred to as a bar. So she's like her. So then, so then, yeah, Sadie, le- her soul also grows out of her body, and she becomes a bar. Yeah, she becomes like a reverse bar. Uh, mm-hmm. She she doesn't drive a Mercedes Benz, um, and she doesn't have any friends, but she's you know still in the, like the courtroom of the gods, and it's interesting to like see that scene and be like, I guess there are also human hosts that they're residing in right now. Yeah, I assume this this must be like just she's just looking at one of the times that this happened. Yeah, because the idea is like, well, this has happened many times. All of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. Explain? It's it's the the way that history works in Battlestar Galactica also. Oh, okay, that's fun. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica is like always I feel like we're talking about it like every 3 episodes at least. I- <laughs> because it's like it's so rooted in like the cultures in that show are so rooted in like mythological history Mm -hmm. that like it's it's too easy for my brain to make the jump and for me to open my mouth and say something about related to Battlestar Galactica yeah that makes sense doing this podcast I mean we've also talked about like maybe Rick Riordan has taken some inspiration from Battlestar in the past Mm mm-hmm like I think we've you t- you mentioned you had that theory I think early in the what was it like Battle Labyrinth? Uh, I think so. Yeah, cause of fucking Lee Fletcher. Anyway, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty like everything. All of the like ah, there's so much exposition on the one hand. Like yeah, but on the other hand, like oh, it's all pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's 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 nothing so offensive as just like the the Amos chat by the pool. A couple of chapters ago, I think, which was just a straight flat exposition dump. Yeah, and I guess the saving grace of this book is that even with that, there was like we're getting some of Amos's personality, mm-hmm. and that's you know the the bare minimum, I suppose. 
Yeah, there is actually some fucking okay, like some stale ass exposition in chapter thirteen, or not even exposition, just like a like one of those like Rick Riordan covering his ass while he's writing, which like you should not do. <laughs> but we discussed this before. It's like yeah, that kind of insecure writing where it's like, well, can't you know, can't Circuit follow us through the portal? And he's like, and instead of just being like. No, let me explain mechanically the exact way that these portals work in detail yeah, so there's that you a, know that he can't do that. There's a fucking 12-hour video game cooldown because the object <laughs> overheats from use. Which, like, I don't think that even really tracks as a way to <laughs> to stop, to justify the circuit not coming after them. Uh-huh. Because, like, okay, you need an ancient Egyptian artifact to create a portal and to go through. You did just go to Egypt. <laughs> yeah, I... Right. And she was in the Egyptian wing of the museum, right? I'm sure she could find something else. Or she, she could just find... go back outside to the needle in Central Park, which they didn't use. Yeah, like... Because that this because this idea has now been presented to us, and it hasn't just been kind of hand-waved away in a nice way... I'm now like, well, why didn't this happen then? Why didn't this happen then? Yeah, no, if Azia had just said no and then moved on, I wouldn't be questioning it. But because the actual mechanics of it have been like brought up in such a weird and stilted way, that, that invites you to think about it and to poke holes in it. Right. We didn't need like, no, this is how it works. It works like this. Don't be scared. It works like this. We could have just had the like... No, what we really need to worry about are the fucking airport security guards. That's all we needed to hear. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of, I I find it extremely funny that, like, Carter can't recognize, like, which museum he's in because they all turn into a blur. Uh-huh. But apparently he knows his airport's off by heart. Yeah, that like, makes... He, he knows immediately that he's in Cairo Airport. That's really funny and makes so much sense <laughs> because, like, we, we already know that Carter spends his fucking life in airports. Yeah, that's like the one airport that he would be in all the fucking time. Yeah. If you'll notice that, I, I started out saying that as a criticism, and then you like came up with an explanation for it, and I very neatly heel-turned into agreeing <laughs> with you. <laughs> I did notice that. Thank you, Jane. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we well, have fun Thank you pod- for not calling me out on it. <laughs> we have fun podcasting together. We do. When was the last time I was in an airport? When was the last time you were in an airport? Well over a decade ago. Anyway, that's not interesting. Moving on. Okay, I was in an airport <laughs> like last year, I think. Bef- before. Oh, nice. B- before the stuff. Um, <laughs> in the before times. In the before times. Like a, like a month before the before times. Uh. <laughs> uh, and, and then I got home and then I stayed in my house for a year. Yeah. And now I'm in a different house. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess speaking of like things that if we're going to be nitpicky about it, we might as well do it now. Um, uh, uh. there's a line in here where Zia says that like, where Carter is like, this is like the sorcerer's apprentice. And oh yeah, I think it was Sadie that said that actually. It was probably Sadie. Who knows? And Zia is like, you know, that's actually based off of an old Egyptian tale. So I want to talk about the origins of the, sor- the sorcerer's apprentice's story. All right. Okay. So let's go Jacqueline's back. Jacqueline's mythology corner. Let's go. That's right. We're going all the way back to 150 AD. Okay. With when 
when when Lucian, the Greek writer, ah. <laughs> wrote a book called Lover of Lies, which is a story about this guy going to his old dying friend's house and like his old dying friend telling him all kinds of supernatural stories and the guy the main character being like, That's fucking stupid. The supernatural <laughs> doesn't exist and it's like a satire kind of ridiculing the supernatural. Um Right. And so in this is a story about how, like, the old guy when he was younger, um, like, eavesdropped on a companion he was traveling with, uh, a, 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 an Egyptian priest to Isis named uh, Pancrates. Uh. And, and, uh, it's, and it's basically the story of the sorcer- Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, but I, I have to say, is, is the implication here that that story is, like, real? I I guess so. Because I the, mean, why wouldn't it be, I guess, within the confines of this magic system? I guess so, but does that also imply that like everything in the book, like Lover of Lies, <laughs> written in one fifty AD by the Greek guy, uh does that imply that it's all it all happened? Like is this is this a a real historical book? Well, according to this book, the the events of the play dr faust also happened so you're making fun of me now (laughs) (laughs) i according to this book uh dr faust does not is not real uh instead who is real is uh ramses the great (laughs) which is true i believe and that's actually who they're descended from not 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 faust i i assume that the implication was supposed to be that dr faust was like part of that line that that like family line maybe who knows you always say dr faust which is so fascinating to me is he is it not dr faust it might be doc i feel like dr faust is a dc character oh fuck faust also called faustus or dr faustus so i think the only configuration of those that was wrong uh oh to to go back to something you were saying earlier about just like rancid lines Uh uh-huh um carter Asking fucking Iskandar, hey, why aren't you on the throne? You look very old. <laughs> it's it's so transparently just there so that they can explain what the Archlector does. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of into it. Like, it, it feels like it's revealing more of Carter's like the cracks in Carter's kind of like like he doesn't have the social skills necessarily. See, I, I would have accepted it more if it was Sadie who said it. Mm-hmm. Because that it feels like the kind of thing that she would say. Right, but I, I feel like it's almost like demonstrating that there is that similarity there. Because hmm. Carter does say a few things in these chapters that are kind of like, would, would Carter say that? And I guess it's like, well, Carter is saying these things, so what does that mean? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that part, it, part of it comes along with him like being like like um like him slowly like becoming more and more frustrated with his position in the world and stuff like that yeah it's just it's it it feels so out of character to me at least it feels very out of character for what we've had from him so far and it's so like blatantly offensive to ask to the person who zia zia just told him don't fuck up or he's gonna turn you into a bug yeah the first thing carter does is call him old 
No, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't sure how to take it. I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to take it because I feel like, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm giving t- Rick too much credit, but I feel like he's a more competent writer than, um, than that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm trying to like figure out like what should we take away from this. I don't think we should yeah. we should necessarily just take away that this is a line here to be given like exposition about what kind of guy this is. I, you're probably right. I'm just I'm I'm cynical. Well, I'm I don't squinting at everything. I don't like disagree with you, and I also think even if you even I think you are both correct, and also that doesn't mean we shouldn't look at it for like Carter's character. Yeah, definitely. Like, authorial intent definitely isn't the be all and end all. Right, because like it's if it's in the text, then that means it's it's up to be analyzed. Yeah. So, what do you think of these new characters of uh, I guess the the short lived Eskandar and the uh, and the now the now elector Dejardin? Uh, I I feel nothing about Dejardin. He is a caricature. Uh huh. He is just the the dogmatic person who comes to power and threatens the main characters. I like Iskandar a lot. Yeah. Like, I th- I feel like he's definitely, like, where it's at in terms of new characters. <laughs> That's a fun way to put it, but yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that, like... Because usually the really old, like, person at the center of the order would be, like, that quite strict uh, orthodox character. Uh-huh. But I like that he seems to just be like he's old and tired and he doesn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. I I really do agree. Like I like Eskandar. I think that his conversation with Sadie when he just like s- suddenly like, pulls her out of the her little uh exp- her little expedition and just like and suddenly like, I'm sorry, but you were about to die. <laughs> yeah, and says it in perfect English. Up to that point he had been speaking Alexandrian Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, there's a like little implication that maybe he wasn't speaking English and that she was speaking Greek, which is come on, that's that's good shit. Yeah, that's that's fun stuff. But you know, I I really do appreciate a character like a whimsical old man who doesn't necessarily care about the like you know all the rules and traditions. He can be a friend to the younger ones, even when sometimes they're looked down upon by the others around them he can see their true talent maybe he can like give them a push you know say go ahead do do what your destiny says no mar- no matter what you know he's he's kind of he's kind of he's kind of like kind of like i i've got i've got something for this as well i'm interested in what you're gonna say he's kind of like albus dumbledore <laughs> oh oof. <laughs> R.I.P. I I have a much less cursed comparison. Uh huh. Which is, I think he is pretty much like beat for beat Master Ugwe from from Kung Fu Panda. Oh shit. Yeah, because his whole thing is that like he's got his his right hand man Shifu, who is like the very strict one. But he's like he's old. He's the most powerful one. He's very like he's very loosey goosey about the rules. And most importantly, he pieces out as soon as things start to get serious and just fucking dies. I can big time see that. I, I like that comparison. People don't talk about how good Kung Fu Panda is enough. Yeah, I I was on YouTube watching the fucking bit where Tai Lung breaks out of the prison the other day and it was very good. God, it's so good. That's like one of those movies, like if you're in Spanish class and your teacher doesn't feel like teaching that day, 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the one you want, you want. Like, oh god, we have to watch fucking Finding Nemo again. Come on, no, you want <laughs> you want Kung Fu Panda, definitely, or Shrek. But I like the like it's it's that same kind of archetype. But there is definitely like there's there's definitely an individual character to Iskandar. Uh huh. Like even in the very short amount of time we get him, there's like that that quiet sadness to him because he lived through the fall of like the last Egyptian kingdom. Yeah. And he's had to deal with like trying to hold shit together for two millennia after that. Yeah, with no way to train up a, a successor who could possibly like fill his shoes. Right. The only guy who takes his place is the fucking like I don't know like the asshole who like translates for him. Yeah, like he he knows that he is the last time that this order will ever have the kind of continuity and stability that comes from having a leader as long lived as him. Yeah, like that's something that he can't do anything about. No, I agree, and I think his death his death did come like pretty at a at a pretty welcome time in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um because it was it was, you know, he's not a care he this isn't the type of character I don't think you want to exist in the whole book. Definitely not. No, he's too much of a stabilizing influence. Everything uh, what I'll say is that like everything is breaking down and I think that not only that, this is where all the setup has been I feel like the setup has now officially ended. I really hope so. It feels like that's the case at the end of this chapter. Because we get a really nice... I know we were kind of ragging on it last episode, but we had two instances of Sadie being urged by different people to just like go up to an obelisk and just open a portal. And Mm -hmm. both times she was unable to. But it seems like this time... Uh, like we're, she's going to have to be faced by that same problem again, and like obviously we're probably going to talk about this more next episode since we didn't get there. Yeah, but it feels like oh, like maybe that was why that happened like that. It was like one of those oh, beats of three type things. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Kind and, of, kind of weird to put the first two beats back to back and then four chapters until the next one. But oh, you know. a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but more, even more so, the the realization that they are both indeed descended from pharaohs and that they are like hosting gods that's all we yeah we should jump into chapter 16 because it's it's chock full of good shit it's jacqueline it's time it's time it's time to duel it's time to have a fucking wizard duel folks <laughs> I don't know if you ever had one of those VHS tapes what had the same commercial playing over and over again. But my my my, my VHS tape always had the a commercial for oh god fuck I'm ringing it up again for uh Chamber of Secrets the movie. Oof. And it was just that one commercial where Draco Malfoy was like scared Potter and uh Harry was like you wish and just like that is like always playing in my brain that specific cadence because i heard it so many fucking times as a child (laughs) and so now i'm just like i wizard duels are something that are part of my like psyche and and this was a good one (laughs) i mean that that listen fuck harry potter that does sound better than what was uh on my childhood vhs tape what was that uh which was this like weird stop motion passion of the christ Oh God! Right, yeah, it's it's like it's 
Jesus doing like a speech while like this little this little clay dude is being nailed to a cross and there's like blood and he's getting like the crown of thorns put on it on him and everything. It was quite grim. Jesus Christ. Mine was mostly <laughs> just Cartoon Network cartoons, like random episodes of <laughs> Dexter's Laboratory and shit. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry that happened to you. Was it also Mel Gibson it was, it voicing was... the role? It was not Mel Gibson, I don't think. Okay, good. It, it, it was a price that had to be paid to get to Thomas and the Magic Railroad. And so, well worth it. Is anyway, that, Wizard Duel. Is that what you oh, call sorry. Thomas the Tank Engine over there? No, no, it was the, the movie, Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Oh, okay. That's starring cute. Alec Baldwin. Oh. Now, we, we've <laughs> moved on from one highly problematic male celebrity <laughs> to to another yeah uh did he is he the guy who killed someone recently yes <laughs> okay just making sure um yeah i'll be honest i'd forgotten about that i was just gonna be like oh yeah this is the dumbass thomas the tank engine movie starring this famous celebrity actor and then the joke would be you being surprised that he would be in something that weird i did forget that he recently killed someone god yeah i mean the okay so wizard duel Wizard duel. I, I'm super into this wizard duel because they're like super. We have a very quick like training scene that I I was kind of delighted by because I think training scenes are fun, and yeah. I liked I liked just like the whole of it. But then we jump right into like okay, we're now going to test your abilities by having you duel each other, and they start off really awkwardly. Like Carter has a sword. They they have some like implements he carter's using hand-me-downs but sadie's using new stuff provided by the gnome um mm-hmm. and they're like okay well i guess i'll try and cast the fireball and carter is like how am i gonna swing a sword this far away but i i, I love that sadie like she cast the fireball it doesn't work and she like she conks out and carter is just like if she kills herself do i win <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah Ta- carter's just tired of all this bullshit <laughs> i feel like he's like the definition of the like don't you ever aren't you ever tired of being nice don't you just want to go ape shit he he is absolutely gonna go joker mode later i hope so um but like then this awkward duel just like very suddenly and jarringly transforms into an expert like wizard duel for the ages where like yeah she casts a fucking giant cat at him like out of her staff she literally shoots a fucking lion at him (laughs) and he just like no fucking thought to it transforms into a giant eagle just like bass did um and slices it in two and then he they they're both just like all right let's fucking go let's continue like <laughs> and it's like kind of amazing it's kind of amazing it underlines like one of the things that like when i got to chapter 16 i was like oh wait wait maybe this isn't unsalvageable which is like i want more of carter and sadie like being in cahoots yeah like, them just fucking around in this chapter and, like, Carter poking Sadie with the butter knife <laughs> that he summoned while she's making fun of him for it. I want more of that dynamic going forward. Same. No, like, I've enjoyed 
obviously there's a lot of tension in that relationship right now because like they're both kind of still pissed off about the other feeling like the other has it better i skipped a lot of asking about that in the summaries yeah yeah there's each of them has their own designated couple of paragraphs yeah in their respective chapters but there is like still that relationship and kind of synchronicity between them that is really enjoyable to read yeah it's this thing where like on the one hand we do have this very well established tension between them but we also have the fact that like They've been basically run from fucked situation to fucked situation over and over again. And the only, like, point of stability they've had throughout that is one another. So, like, no matter what the differences are, eventually that's going to start adding up and they're going to start being friendlier. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 good as hell. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm... God, I have so much to say about these chapters, to be honest. Um, We haven't really really talked about the, uh, the, the her Sadie's expedition into the past. Ooh, no, we haven't. I think we almost did, but then we got sidetracked by something or other. I think we got sidetracked by the Faust thing. Oh, the Faust thing, right. No, but we see a vision of her, like, going into the scene where Set traps Osiris in the coffin and doesn't explicitly chop any of his parts off yet, but, you know... That is what happens. That That is what will happen. He will be chopped into <laughs> many, many pieces. What what's, what what's your take on this sequence? Because I have a take. My, I think my, my take is, as mentioned in the summary, this scene feels weirdly like um, Hercules. Okay. So I also <laughs> have in my notes that this feels like a Hercules scene. Yeah, it, like, obviously not in how it ends, but the opening of it where they're all sitting around like, oh, we're going to have this child who will be the most powerful child of the king of the gods and fix everything forever. And then the like, oh, here's my shitty evil brother showing up slightly late to the party. And then like being, that, it's it's the same energy, absolutely. And then like still welcoming the shitty evil brother in, like, hey, it's set. What's up, man? And <laughs> it's it's all like, it's all absolutely still like that same vibe of like Disney movie. Like this feels like a scene to be animated joyously. Yeah, definitely. With like all the different gods like changing their forms and trying to fit into the thing while Osiris is, for some reason, very unsuspicious about what's happening. He, he's dumbass, of sorts. He's very fucking stupid, and frankly, deserved to get locked in that coffin. <laughs> um, but the thing to, like, the thing to say here is that this is, like, a really... I This is maybe one of my favorite scenes of the book so far, because of, like, how mythical it really does feel. Like, the, uh, way, the way that the gods are described as such, like powerful figures and like like the fact that like immediately one of them clocks sadie and is like you know what what are you like a ghost or you're like a bot that's that's cool you know just oh uh uh-huh that's something that we should actually talk about because i skipped it in the summaries yeah but that's like i don't think that's a god okay that sadie when she goes into this like vision of the past she briefly has an encounter with like uh, a boy who she describes as very handsome in a dark cloak and then, like, he he fucks off for the rest of the vision, and she doesn't think to mention it to anyone else. But I'm, like, I'm relatively certain that that was another bar. Really? Yeah, because, like, no- nobody else in the vision interacts with her. So, but, like, if she can project herself there, it makes sense that another magician would be able to as well. That's really interesting. So, like, you think this is, like, a magician on the side of 
set, maybe? I'm I'm not sure. I possibly or it could possibly be like maybe like one who's not aligned with the House of Life who's gonna be like an ally to them now that they're on the run. That could be really interesting. We've Yeah, I'd I I I couldn't possibly speculate on the motivations. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like I I guess I just assumed it was like a god taking a younger form. But like I guess this could also be like this is a human magician that Sadie will meet and then they will have like a romance arc. Yeah, that's that definitely seems like what's going on here. Because like she is like, Oh, I, I try to think of what to say to him. Uh like, hello, I'm Sadie, marry me. No, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> it feels as unsubtle as the like the bit we get a bit later where she's like oh a bit of trouble between miss magic and mr perfect and their romantic paradise or the part where carter is like oh uh zia walked a certain direction and it really made her eyes sparkle beautifully or whatever uh or somewhat more creepily i realized that the city smelled like zia that was <laughs> so, this must so be where she much lived. Like, um, <laughs> I'm, this is, Carter, are you okay? <laughs> this is my continuing, I'm, I'm trying to convince you here, Carter has no social skills. And <laughs> this is, this is part of my evidence. I, I suppose that, that is definitely like, that is definitely like a big part of the character. But I, I still maintain that it's very weird to just fucking say, hey, you look old, unprompted. Definitely. No, but yeah, he and I guess to be fair, he didn't say it to Zia. He only yeah, said no, it unless she's in there, I guess, with them in the fucking what where they're recording this. Oh god, <laughs> that that is something that does continue to hang over these chapters, like the sword of Damocles, is like Sadie having like. This very introspective rant about like, oh well, the Carter doesn't understand any of my struggles. Here are all the deeply personal things that I deal with on a daily basis and don't feel comfortable discussing with anyone. Yeah. And I'm gonna say them into this recorder while Carter is like three feet away from eating a sandwich. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't know, maybe it'll go somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. For now, I still don't really mind. It's just kind of awkward sometimes when I do remember. Yeah, I feel like it's it's one of those things where like Whenever we say, oh, this is a really interesting insight into this character's psyche, like, the listener will just have to take it upon themselves to, like, mentally append it and say, like, but that doesn't justify the framing device being so weird and not really making sense in, it, in like, the context of the present. I mean, like... And that, that, will, that will save us a lot of time. I guess we don't have to assume that everything that is said on the page is literally said into the recording, right? Wait, no, we do have to assume that we because, because there's a fucking... like, the other ones interject. But not only that, but, like, even even if it was just the interjections, I think we could assume that, like, some of this is, you know, just, like, going back in time and thinking about, like, in, being inside the character's head. But there is literally a part at the beginning of the book where it's, like, this is an exact transcript of everything that was said by... Oh, the... God, yeah. So, yeah, it's... It's clumsy. It's whatever. Um... I, I do think that overall my take on the scene is that it is much cooler than any Percy Jackson dream sequence. Uh, yeah, I think this... I think because it just it's not just Sadie goes to sleep and sees some stuff. It's like she takes the active decision to fuck around and find out 
and you know goes out to the very cool memory room does something she was explicitly told not to and then out of that like get some information yeah uh chapter 16 has a really strong start too um when zia either conjures or goes out of her way to to take a bucket of water and splash it on on sadie it says a bucket of water and like zia's powers of fire uh-huh so like i feel like she has to have gone and found a bucket and then found some water and then gone to sadie's room and some ice cubes it's ice water too oh god yeah Maybe she, like, left it in the fridge overnight knowing that she was going to do this in the morning. It's fucking effervescent. It's so funny. (laughs) The focus on, like, ritual protocol throughout the training uh, really hits for me. Yeah, it's... I do find it kind of funny that if you run water over a statue of Thoth, it becomes Gatorade. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Gamer girl Thoth water. (laughs) God... People are always talking about ethos. What about ethos? No. <laughs> this is this is this is why you you greeted me before we started recording with oh whoa what's this? You were simply talking about thoth before we even got started. <laughs> That's right. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ! Should we start every episode from now on with oh whoa what's this? Because thoth <laughs> is listening to us. I think if if an episode concerns thoth, we have to. Okay. For sure. Uh but one thing that does did strike me as funny not really because of anything in the text but just because of my my fucked up little joker mind um Uh. is when zia describes like carter summoning a butter knife as like summoning it from ma'at um Mm -hmm. which is like ma'at is like pretty much just the force not just quote not like (laughs) not like star wars the force but i mean as in like lowercase like it is a force here the force of ma'at like but like also mythologically there is literally a deity called ma'at um Uh, oh uh who is like i guess the personification kind of of ma'at so it's really funny imagining like uh no this fucking magician wants to get get a sword let me let me look through with some uh okay what do i have around here that's like a sword i guess there's a <laughs> butter knife Fuck. <laughs> uh. so what you're saying is that like my art is a fucking charity shop and they just get what they're given and have to deal with it. God, I I think so. It's, you know, you can, if you're better at magic, you know, you'll, maybe you can bargain a little bit better with her, but. It's just haggling. I wonder if Hekka will ever come up, because Hekka is the actual name of magic in Egyptian, like, in Egyptian stuff. Oh, um, interesting. And, like, there is also a god of that magic, kind of a personification of that magic called Hekka as well. So I wonder if it'll just be so focused on like we're summon we're using Ma'at to or like will it actually ever be like well this is the power of Hekka? I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe it'll be like a different kind of magic. Uh huh. Because like the way that the House of Life operates, like we see it's rooted in summoning gods. So like it would makes it would make sense that like the core of the, how their magic works is drawn from like a specific deity. Yeah, it's summoning gods, and it's um. We actually learned that there are a variety of types of magic that are almost, I don't know. For me, the first thing I thought of was Hunter Hunter. 
<laughs> because we learned that everyone has like a different specialty like there are diviners and combat magicians and 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 uh you know amulet makers and animal charmers and enhancers and conjurers and transmitters if i had a nickel for every uh rick ryden book which contained uh, a mother who could see the future who is now like firmly out of the picture as far as the story is concerned i'd have two nickels which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Yeah, I... Hmm. It's, it's not even necessarily a complaint. It's just kind of weird that it's happening again. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, I, I'm like, will Sadie get the... To, to become a diviner? Probably. Yeah, I mean, that... Because she's, she's had, like, premonitions already, right? Yeah. She knew that the, the fucking ribbons wouldn't work on the circuit. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, both of them have little voices in their heads, which I think we can now safely say are probably the gods that they're hosting. Yeah, I my my initial theory about that was that it might be like a past pharaoh or something. But yeah, it's almost certainly the gods. Which I guess it kind of who, is because uh, true. Those pharaohs were also hosting those gods presumably. Although I suppose if that's the case, we also have to consider whether those voices are trustworthy. Right. Because like we had no real reason to question why the voice in Carter's head was saying, "No, shut the fuck up about this bit." earlier but now we can like guess that that might have just been like for the sake of self-preservation yeah so like their interests might not necessarily align with carter and sadie's and that's nicely muddled because like you could say because you can look at it from either side either like they're stopping them from revealing that they're hosting gods because they are like doing it out of self-preservation instincts or they're doing Mm -hmm. it to protect the kids themselves yeah so it's, you know, there's like, hmm, it, it's still very up in the air in that way. But, like, another aspect of the magic that I find always super cool is, like, the, the like, language as magic thing. Because that is part of it as well. Uh-huh, definitely. Like, we, we learn here that Sadie can, in fact, just write the word fire on a piece of paper and have it light <laughs> on fire. Yeah, which I imagine will actually be very inconvenient if she ever has to write anything at school. <laughs> yeah. God, no, that's, if my fucking essay came to life, (laughs) I would have to kill it. There are several essays that I wish I could have brought to life just so that I could kill them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My, I honestly have such a love for this concept though, um, of like language and speech as being the core of magic. It's always one of my personal favorite like tropes, I guess. I don't think I've read actually that much stuff that uses this idea. Yeah. The only one that jumps to mind for me is Aragon. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to reading about that in a series which maybe won't fuck it up. Right, right. <laughs> so I was actually, I've been thinking for years about like, what is the source of my love for this concept? Um, uh-huh. And to, I had mythologized it, I guess, in my head as like, it was a book about a pair of siblings in an alternate magical world where language is magical and they speak words and that causes magic to happen. And This I'm, wouldn't happen to be the Kane Chronicles, would it? I'm now realizing that the book series that I've been searching for <laughs> is half of the Kane Chronicles and half of another book that is the one that I was searching for the entire time and I did find it today for the first time in like years. Uh-huh. I've been searching for this series for years. It's called the Young Wizards series. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. Um, so 
the the one I think I read when I was a kid. I read them the first two. There are like ten of them out or something like that. There's also a spinoff called the Feline Wizard series um, <laughs> about cats that do magic. The two genders, cat and young. Well, there's also uh, a section on this Wikipedia article called Adult Wizards, which I don't think is the name of a series. <laughs> but, you know, the three genders. That, that's the that's the age-gated spinoff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the first book is called So You Want to Be a Wizard. And it's about, like, this pair of teenagers who find a book called, like, So You Want to Be a Wizard in the library and like it turns out that this book is actually like a like a like um this is like how you become a wizard like you find this book and like agree to take an oath inside of it huh um and from then on like inside of the book is like the language of power that you can like say words and like have them change reality that sounds really fun yeah yeah i and so i this is something that i've been searching for for years i finally found it i think in the second book they talk to dolphins so that's fun that is fun yeah uh zia like she she has some cool moments in chapter 16 she's also uh, a law and order candidate you said zia is a law and order candidate what does that mean it, it means that she when they when she's leading the the kids around fucking um thebes and they're pointing out the statues and being like haha the statues look dumb she's like no these statues are champions of law and order they're on our side oh i see uh, but also she has a really good moment in that chapter where she's like trying to explain that like I need to draw this hieroglyph on your tongue for the magic to work. But she tries to explain it while showing them the hieroglyph that's on her <laughs> tongue. And that's, it's a very funny and very humanizing moment for her. I like it a lot. Definitely. What I thought you meant by her being a Law & Order candidate was that she was going to be on the famous television show Law & Order. I can't wait for that cameo for Law & Order to be brought into the Riot in verse. I Actually, I've never watched it and don't care. You know what? It's pretty bad. Okay. It sounds like it would be. Yeah. Oh, wait. I I need to talk about one more thing. I swear, just one thing. Speak. Right. They, they go into the Hall of Memories, and, like, they're, they're looking at all the, the hieroglyphs that are, like, scattered around, and it says, Carter grabbed a pair of red legs. Uh-huh. I, uh, uh, you can't just say that. I mean, they also then show a picture of the legs. Wait, did they? Wait a second. Is this an addition difference? It might not. I No, there was a symbol underneath it. Okay. I, if I'm being honest, I just ignore those at this point. Wait, what the fuck? I... I figure that any that like I don't need to remember like what this symbol actually look like, and that like I'll be able to pick up whatever it means from context. Yeah, but then you say shit like, "Oh, he picked up a pair of red legs." You can't just say that, despite the fact that there are fucking leg hieroglyphs under it. Yeah, no. All right, you know what? I'll I'll I will take the L on this one. SMH. Right. <laughs> Jane, I'm sending you back to public school. Oh, please don't. Wait. Okay. I meant to say elementary school, but now I want I want to ask you about public school. That means something else in the UK, right? Uh, yes, it does. Public school is like private school here, but private school Pub- is like public school there. Public school here means you're going to like fucking Eton and paying 30 grand a term, yeah. Okay, so that's what private school is here. Yeah. Gotcha. And 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 sixth form <laughs> <laughs> Or whatever. No, that's just the that's one option you have for the last two years of education. Right. 
because you can do either sixth form or college or uh, an apprenticeship. Right, but college and university are different, right? Yes. I fucking have we. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's end. Let's end this. Let's end this. We're, we're, we've gotten to the point where once again we are just screaming about how um, both of our cultures are dumb. Yeah, all these fucking interstates. I hate it. <laughs> it's almost Thanksgiving. I hate that too. <laughs> but it's almost the end of No Not November, so that is cool for celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Janie Shivers, everyone. That's me shiver a lot she's shivering because of no not november <laughs> <laughs> okay jesus fucking christ sweet okay that's it we're done bye everyone wait no i say the outro no, you... it's not the patreon episodes you can't just say I, it's hard <laughs> the patreon episodes are where the fucking content is honestly i don't know we I feel like in a lot of them, it it is just us, like, exhausted, chatting shit, dumping on Homestuck, maybe. That's the good shit. That is is the good shit. I just feel like we've gotten a lot of really good discussion out of these chapters, and I've enjoyed recording with you. I completely agree. But for now. Fuck, I can't say that series of words either. That's also how I sign this one off. (laughs) <laughs> uh, if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on wisegirls, twitter.com slash unwisegirls for all our links to our own uh, Twitters, to our Discord server and our Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For $1 a month, you get our uh, role as... We, okay, after this podcast, let's talk about new roles. Right, yeah, we need to change them. But for now, um, for $1 a month, you become a camp counselor on the Discord server. Uh, for $3 a month, you get... Uh, the role of friend of Dionysus and all of our uh, bonus content. Uh, this week we talked about um, uh, Jacqueline's school law and uh, the very famous mid-century novel uh, Virginia Woolf's Durarara. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for $5 a month you get all of our bonus content, the role of Aphrodite's Chosen, and a special thank you at the end of our episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, okay, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try a new one. See, see what you think. All right. And as we're now saying, <laughs> at the end of every single episode, see you next. Fuck! I hit my fucking box i was holding my microphone on one second <laughs> this is so fucked We're saying up. this at the end of every week i'm gonna do this exact thing at the end of every week see you next time scribes see you next time scribes do you like it how's it feel hmm. i feel like it's not very like it's not specific to the to the king chronicles in the way that camp half blood was to percy jackson see you at the next gnome <laughs> let's jump You've been through gnomed. <laughs> See you at the next gnome. <laughs> um, jump through a portal with us to the next episode. Um, jump through a garden gnome. Be gone, thoths. No, 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 that's a good one. That's a good one. What if we just say be gone, thoughts? <laughs> no, it has to be be gone, thoths. Uh, I don't actually want to curse thoth every episode. Why not? I don't know. You, you'll run out of your infinite supply of Gatorade. <laughs>
Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess we're actually we're out of patron goddess right now because we're not doing Percy Jackson anymore. Yeah. So Aphrodite's out. We need a new one. Uh huh. Both is apparently the only one that's not evil. So. Yeah. Wait, no. It should be. It should be Bast. It should be Bast. Well, we can we can talk about it. Uh. Yeah. Uh, see you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I think I said it in reverse order again. <laughs>